Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. This is the Tools for Resilience series, wellness and mental health chats focused on helping you grow and feel good about who you are. We'll be exploring ideas and practical tools designed to help you get comfortable with the vulnerability inherent in being human and the benefits of embracing it. And we'll reveal ways that working with this vulnerability builds resilience so that you can deepen your resources, adapt more, bounce back better and go on to thrive. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the extra bonus content. If we're all being completely honest, compassion is not a word we tend to associate with leadership or even with the workplace. The language around management and leading is much more likely to be littered with terms like dynamic, competitive or robust. The pandemic might have given organisations more opportunity to embrace a different way of thinking, and some have, but there is still a clear desire to stick to old hierarchical ways of thinking, leadership that drives rather than inspires, and focusing on what employees do rather than how they feel. In fact, compassion is a word many associate with weakness. And that is a whole other episode, probably on the language of the patriarchy, that we won't be covering today. However, I will say this, where resilience has often been co-opted as a term for toughness, survival and control, compassion frequently gets rolled out to shore up ideas of being soft, directionless and letting yourself off the hook. Neither of these is true, and both misinterpretations hold us, individually and as a human race, back. More on that later. Manly Hopkinson is a highly acclaimed keynote speaker and currently works as a consultant in leadership, people and performance to a number of global companies. His career has taken him from serving as an officer in the Royal Navy to skippering around the world yacht race and being part of the three-man team that won the inaugural race to the Magnetic North Pole. He has published a book on compassionate leadership and established the Compassionate Leadership Academy in 2015. Manley is a storyteller and uses the power of his own experiences to show how leadership can leave behind traditional and outdated tropes and be more inclusive, focusing on areas such as building self-esteem, emotional intelligence and understanding of others. A topic like leadership can be a vulnerability in so many ways, whether you are someone who has felt excluded from it because you don't fit with outdated ideas on what leaders look like, or because you've tried and failed to get it right. As I understand it, Compassionate leadership offers a different way forward, one that embraces the self-awareness and self-compassion that is at the the heart of resilience and provides new tools to inspire and lead. It could be that compassionate leadership offers the only way for organisations to embed resilience in the challenging times that may lie ahead. So Manly, welcome. Thank you, Alex. Lovely uh, Lovely to speak with you. As I mentioned in my introduction there, resilience is something that we have often come to associate with being tough, controlling your feelings, surviving with gritted teeth, etc. As a resilience coach, I would personally like to take a baseball bat to that definition because it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, The reality of resilience for me is that it's rooted in self-awareness, self-compassion, making space for feelings and the imperfection of being human. That's where the flexibility and adaptability of resilience really comes from. So compassion is kind of your word, and it's also another term that we seem to have similar trouble with. So why don't you kick us off with your definition of compassion? Brilliant, Alex, I will, because you're quite right. It's a word, I think, that gets very confused. People aren't quite sure what it means. So I turn to um, the person who I think is the earthly key of wisdom on compassion, which is His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And he's been one of my inspirations for much of my work over many years. 
And in one of his books, he spoke about compassion. He defined it in such a beautifully powerful way. And I, it was at that moment that a light bulb went on in my head. I thought, well, that's it. This is what we've got to do. And what he spoke about, he originally spoke about empathy. We, we, we spent a lot of time talking about empathy and saying empathy is to get to know somebody else's pain or to walk in their shoes and this sort of stuff. And, and even the Dalai Lama challenges that to a degree in the context that you actually can't physically feel another person's pain. It can't actually happen in that respect. But when he says if empathy is to understand someone, if empathy is to understand another person's journey deeply, and then if that's empathy, then compassion is to work with that knowledge with positive intent. And that's what I like. I think that is brilliant. So in other words, compassion is understanding with positive action. It's as simple, as beautiful, and as powerful as that. So it's actually a, a much more dynamic and action-driven word than people often give you credit for. Oh, totally. And this is the point. It, 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 without action, it's not compassion. Because by using that definition, it compels you to act. But it compels you to act having first striven, having first tried to understand. And, and this is a really important concept because by doing so, it means as a leader, the first thing you have to do is shut up and understand and not talk, but to really deeply listen and understand the other person's view. And if we're applying a compassionate mindset, which means that now I'm going to act with positive intent on my understanding, it, it drops judgment. It drops all sense of judgment. It drops it's all sense of, of, of even vulnerability because you know what you're doing is the best for the other person or for the other collective or for that group. And that's why it's so powerful and so strong um, and, and not at all soft or fluffy or whatever. It's about action, positive action based on understanding. I think it's just magnificent. So I can feel your enthusiasm from here <laughs> as well. Um, so what do you think? I mean, obviously there are there are some clear challenges with with the word compassion in a leadership context even though the way you've described it means that actually it should be exactly what everyone uses but what would you identify as the biggest challenges to more compassion in leadership i i think you're quite right there is confusion in the word because the word does get linked to elements like like mindfulness for example which is great in its own concept being totally aware of who you are and in the moment is absolutely vital but that's not compassion that's part of our self-discovery which is really important part of it it gets linked with some very vocal and well-marketed academics around the concepts of trauma uh, and and even shame comes into some definitions and i must confess i fundamentally fundamentally disagree with that because it, we're working with business leaders globally, working with community leaders and political leaders, hopefully as well, globally, and getting them to understand and act positively, which is what I want, which is what compassion really is. But if the word is linked to shame, trauma, vulnerability, uh, 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 it, it gets lost and, and people will naturally put up barriers. Even if the barriers aren't conscious ones, people won't engage with the word. If it's even the word vulnerability is a tricky one, isn't it? That's like Bambi on ice. You know, it means you're not in control. It's a hard one. But I, where, so the language we use when we talk about it is really important. And I prefer to use the words like courage and awareness and understanding, positivity uh, and, and these things. And I, and I think that's the problem we have, Alex, that the, the word compassion itself, even though the Dalai Lama has written about it for many years, um, it, it's got not quite hijacked, shall I say? It's an, un, it's an unfair word. 
but a lot of mainstream uh, uh, communications are, are, are linking it to to negative concepts rather than positive concepts. And I think that's a challenge. So, I mean, there's an element of social conditioning around that because you mentioned vulnerability. Um, and actually the way that we have come to see vulnerability is quite far from its reality. Like being vulnerable actually allows you to connect with people and to show up in the world as who you really are. Um, and it takes a lot of courage. So isn't it not just about sort of the words we associate with it, but also the social conditioning behind, you know, needing to be strong, needing to be invulnerable, needing to be yeah. uh, not weak. Yeah. Is, is that part of it as well? Oh, massively, Alex. And, and in your introduction, you, you spoke about the sort of styles of leadership and the shift that has to happen. And even, you know, when I was brought up, the, the sort of cultural norms that we were within, you know, big boys don't cry, for example. This expression you, know, you hear as a kid I think my parents less so with me um, I think I was a blubber and I still am but <laughs> it, it, it's about we've been conditioning particularly in the business world for many years now around being tough and, and even the confusion as you spoke about the confusion on the word resilience which means basically in their understanding being stubborn and don't let go and don't show weakness which is actually antithesis of what it really really is um, so you're right, there's a lot of social conditioning. You know, I'm a leader, I've got to be tough, I've got to be strong. They're looking for me for direction. No, they're not, actually. They're looking for you for support and inspiration and motivation and excitement and vision. That's what they're looking for. Um, and so we have to break out of that established cycle, which actually doesn't sit deeply well within the human themselves. So the leaders who are exhibiting this more aggressive, more combative, more controlling style are actually at odds with themselves as well. They're deeply psychological conflict going on in many of the world leaders who are exhibiting this old style but it's a condition they've had to respond to to succeed in a hugely aggressive environment and I think we're at this tipping point of shifting not just from compassionate leadership but a more compassionate society um, as people are wanting more and wanting greater humanity and connection in everything that we do. That old style of leadership feels very ego driven, and, yes, and, and that, but all, but for the person who's doing it, that's exhausting. Living in your ego, oh, it's not a nice place to be. No, it's not because it's generally from a place of protection. Mm. Um, and you know, just last week, I was, I was working with a leadership team, and there's one particular person who was really gruff and very vocal. But the reality is, actually, they can't cope with conflict very well, and so their their cover up is to be that rough and vocal and, and, and domineering to try and stop any conflict from happening and it's when we get under the skin of it all and understand at a deep human level that we all want to connect we all want to grow we all want to create and let's create an environment which allows us to do that and I believe this is the environment the compassionate one understanding the positive action that's what it's all about so when we spoke a few months ago you talked about the strength of compassion can you tell me a bit more about that Yes, I can, Alex. Um, I'll ask you a question. How do you feel, Alex, if I'm going to ask you to do something, but you don't want to do it? Resistant. Resistant. And the emotion within you? Annoyed. <laughs> yeah, annoyed, <laughs> frustrated, angry. And the quality of the work won't be your best. It'll be good enough because you've got elements of self-pride, but you just do it on. And that's the feeling of compliance. Now, how about I, I ask you to do something and actually you're really committed to doing it. You really want to do it. So, Alex, could you do that, please? And you're committed. Now, how do you feel? excited 
perfect. And this is it. That is it's as simple as that. We've created a society where we have a compliant workforce and compliance to what we have to do. I'm telling you to do stuff. I haven't sold it to you. I haven't bought it into you. It's not part of your purpose in life. I don't care about your background. I don't care about your communication or emotional needs. Just JFDI, just do it, is the expression we all hear. But with compassionate leadership, the impact of compassionate leadership, understandably positive action, well, actually, that's compassion. You expand the definition of compassionate leadership to secure the best for all. What happens is I'm tapping into your self-worth. And if I tap into your self-worth, I get your commitment. And if I've got your commitment, I've got your engagement. I've got collaboration. I've got innovation and ownership and accountability. I've got resilience because it's part of your personal journey. And guess what? I've got well-being. I've got happiness. And what everyone else is striving for is performance. And that's the outcome of commitment. And so the principle of applying compassion and compassionate leadership is what we're trying to say to all leaders is don't try and beat compliance into people. Try and gain commitment, because if you've got commitment, you've got everything else. And that's the power of compassion. By tapping to people's self-worth, it gives you that commitment which we're all after. So how have your own experiences shaped what this means to you? If you went through chronology of the jobs I've had, you'll just work out I can't keep a job for very long. I've got a very low boredom threshold. Um, but I, I've, I've never made any decision in life based on money. So if I find myself in a position and I'm no longer enjoying it, I'll, I'll move and go somewhere I am. So I, I've always tried to feel fulfilled in what I'm doing. And over the years, and I, I was in the British Navy, the Royal Navy, um, twice actually, a long time ago, and I had in Hong Kong, and I was a professional sailor for many years. And then, you know, skipped around the world and North Pole and all that malarkey. Uh, but I've been working with business leaders, community leaders, political leaders, um, uh, school leaders for 22 years now around the principles of, of um, compassion and, and their own well-being. It's, it's not a modern expression. It's an expression we've been using for a long, long time, as, as you have yourself as well. And, and getting people to understand the real true meaning of resilience, too. And so in my journey in life, I, I've had the fortune of being working with and under some incredible compassionate leaders who deeply understood me. And the question came about when I, when people say, so Manly, why do you think that person is such a good leader? And why do you think that person is such a bad leader? And I said, well, the good ones, that they care. They really know about me. They care about me. They understand me. Um, and I feel that they've got my best interests at heart. But the ones I struggle with, don't know me they're ignorant of me and they're focused on themselves and they're ego driven Alex as you were saying earlier and it was that realization in my own life about the people I found inspirational and I'll do anything for I you know walk up a cliff with them uh, and other people I I just had to get away from uh, and I did free, frequently and then when I was working with business leaders and applying all my leadership experience it just came to well that was it this is what it's about it's, it's about that element of caring and understanding and then as I developed my own reading, my own philosophies and journeys and the inspiration for the Dalai Lama and that word compassion just sprang out in that one paragraph he wrote. I thought, this is it. It's, it's beautifully simple. It's incredibly powerful. It's energizing. It's, it's fulfilling. And, and, if, and, and that's what all the good leaders did to me. They understood and they acted positively with what they understood. And that was the definition. That was the separation between a good leader. They were, they were trying to secure the best for me. And for everyone around us, and I just think, well, that's it. That's beautiful. It's such a powerful thing. It really is. I would imagine that anyone listening to this has by now got 
quite a good idea of what compassionate leadership is. Good. <laughs> not yet converted. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Yeah, okay. That's a nice one. So you, you're right. People may be listening and hopefully think, yeah, I want some of that commitment. I definitely want some of that commitment. I'm really concerned about this vulnerability bit, whatever, because you know, when we use the word vulnerable, and if you look it up in the dictionary, you know, it, it does imply that you're exposed and potentially at risk and the words we use with it, as opposed to using the word, I'm going to be courageous. Let's say, Alex, you and I are working together, um, and hopefully we will in the years to come. It'll be a real pleasure. Is that the more we understand each other, the better chance we've got of motivating each other, of communicating properly, of understanding each other's needs and fulfilling those needs. And so we'll both find the work more fulfilling ourselves and more rewarding ourselves. As a result, it'll be our best work, and we'll want to collaborate. And we'll, we'll want to work together strongly. We want to put our worlds together and change the bigger world. And I think if any leader listens to this now, thinking, well, actually, if I'm just trying to force my way through or force my compliance to be in a position of protection, it's hard work. It really is. What I actually want is to enjoy. I want the team to be on fire. I want them to want to come to work. I want them to have a spring in their step on a Monday morning and still have that spring in their step on a Friday afternoon. And I want us to look back and think we've achieved so much and I've enjoyed working with this team. Hey, you know, I'm five out of seven days. I'm with these people. So why shouldn't we enjoy ourselves? Why shouldn't we get on? Why shouldn't we just try and change the world? And I want them to think about how they feel. The question I ask you about how you feel if you're compliant to something and how you feel if you're committed to something. And I'd like all the leaders to think, well, how do I feel? What I feel when I someone asks me to do something I don't want to do. And then think, Am I doing that to my people? Actually, have I created compliance with my people? Oh, no. That's up to me now. I'm the leader. And I'm, in other words, I'm eliciting the emotion of reluctance and potentially anger and disappointment within my own people because of what I'm doing. So any leader listen to this, challenge yourself and think, actually, no, I want my people to be excited and motivated. I want them to do the best work they possibly can. I want them to pull out all the stops when we have to pull out all the stops. I, I want my people to be proud of their work. And, and I'd love a legacy too. So my ego can still be fulfilled. Yeah, be empathetic in the concept of put yourself in your people's shoes. And what are they feeling at the moment? What are they seeing of you? And then think, well, what have I done to create that? Because whatever culture we have in organizations, whatever fears we have on on resignations and this whole thing the great resignation that we hear of now and, and dissatisfaction and churn and turnover and poor performance well as a leader the first question we have to ask is what environment have i created which enables this person or this team to perform poorly or this person to want to leave the situation so look at ourselves so so here's, I used to work in a city. I was a lawyer, I think I told you. Yeah. Um, so if you have a situation, you're a leader um, and you've got your team working under you and they're working 18 hours a day, they're under a lot of pressure. Um, perhaps the culture is very focused on performance, on results. Um, people aren't happy. People are really only there for the money or because they feel the shame of leaving the law. How does this work in that environment then? How Can you turn that around if you're in... If you're in a, a role where actually some people would say it's necessary for some of it to be unpleasant. That's an interesting point, actually. <clears throat> it's necessary for us to work hard. I, I get that. There are some occasions where something's got to be done. There's a deadline. And what you really need is everyone you know, it, it really giving it stacks. And I totally get that. I, I personally don't think 
any of it should be unpleasant. My time in the military where, you know, you're asked to do things which aren't deeply unpleasant, but you do them in a pleasant way. You do them with a group of people whose company you enjoy, people you respect, and you know that you've got their back and they've got yours. So you can go over the top of a trench using old language, uh, which is deeply unpleasant, but you can still love the people you're with and engage with it and give it 100% of all your energy and all your focus. It, there's a brilliant model uh, on, on leadership, which I met, gosh, a long time ago <clears throat> when I first joined the Navy by a chap called John Adair. It's in my book, actually, I think it's chapter eight. Uh, and uh, it, it explains about this brilliant concept called action-centered leadership, where you have three balancing circles of task, team, and individual, about achieving the task, building the team, developing the individual. And there's a triangle of circles. Uh, and the danger is that what we do, we spend most of our time just trying to achieve the task. And so if you redrew those circles, the task bubble would be massive, team one small, individual one potentially smaller. Now that's flawed because any task by definition is done by a team of individuals. So if we can develop the individual first and get them to be as capable and as committed as possible, bring them together in a team construct where there's a great sense of purpose and meaning and understanding, the dynamic is strong, then achieving any task is really, really simple. Where we go wrong, and actually I think in, in the, the legal world, um, it can happen a great deal because the senior leaders, the practitioners by definition, aren't just fulfilling a management role, they're fulfilling their legal role to their clients as well. And they get a lot of, uh, uh, um, industries like that so the financial industry can be the same with, with accountants and this sort of stuff and professionals particularly and they forget about the importance of their leadership role so let's say we're working 18 hours a day and it's really tough and it's miserable well i would wager people aren't working the most effectively we have this crazy idea of just bashing our head against the wall all the time it's like chopping down a tree with a blunt axe stop sharpen the axe and then you'll chop down the tree faster. So that takes courage, and I spoke about earlier, as a compassionate leader. If your team are really, really stressed, really overworking, they're really tired, they're going to make mistakes, the work will be slow, they won't be enjoying themselves, they will be compliant, it will be tough. Have the leadership courage to stop, make a pause, rebuild that team, sharpen that axe, just re-explain the purpose, the meaning, the value of everything we're doing. And I can guarantee after that stop, you'll work so much better, so much faster, in a so much stronger collaborative way than beforehand. And so the danger is when we're up against it is that we just press on. Now that's daft and as a sailor, uh, you know, and sailing around the world and things like that, you know, you're in a storm and your team are falling apart. I can't stop the weather, but I can change the attitude. I can change the dynamic and the culture in the moment. We can inject some humour. We can slow it down. We can just get the boat safe and just take a breather for a while and then rebuild the speed later. Same you know, expedition to the North Pole, racing there with polar bears and all that sort of malarkey. You, there are times when you're feeling low and the result is your performance is low. So we would cause a break. Any one of us on the team would say, right, I know I'm way off my best. Let's have a quick seven-minute break. Let's re-energise, recover, Let's, let's build our resilience, get back to the space we want to be, and let's press on. And that's the leadership courage that I spoke of earlier. But again, you can't do that without compassion, understanding with positive action, it's understanding the reality of the moment, and then having that courage to act positively and not judge. So if my team are not and exhausted and performance is poor, I'm not going to point fingers at my team, says, you're, you're useless, work harder. No, no, no. I'm going to point a finger at myself first and say, ah, 
they're cooked, they're stressed, it's not working. Right team, let's have a quick bacon sandwich. I'm gonna to go to the shop, bacon size, cup of coffee, whatever it may be. Let's draw breath uh, and let's just have a chat how we can do this easier and better and off we go. And I think that's the, that's the challenge for leaders there, isn't it? That awareness. Yeah, that's a big shift. I mean, I haven't worked in an office for a long time, possibly for this reason that that is how it used to be. Um, but yeah, I think that is a big shift that you'd have to have a lot of courage to do in certain environments. It, it, it takes an awareness first, uh, and you're right. And, and the certain environments is a really telling expression, Alex, because, and I'm doing some work in the medical industry, the healthcare industry at the moment, uh, and there's uh, uh, an environment where the culture internally is the opposite of compassionate, how people deal with each other. And breaking that is obviously going to be hard because it's an accepted way of being and people at the top have got there by behaving that way. And it's almost like Turkey's waiting for Christmas, if you like. We're now asking them to challenge everything they did so other people don't have to do the same. And that takes an awareness to begin with. It does take compassion, so the understanding of positive action. It will take courage, but it also take, um, it can only come from a place of self-confidence and, and being who I am and recognising that actually, in reality, did I really enjoy all of that journey? No, not particularly. Would I wish to do it another way? Had I been given a free choice? Actually, yes, is the truth. Um, so am I now in a position as a senior leader to help other people follow a different path? Well, actually, yes, I am. So rather than forcing everyone to go down the path, well, I had a horrible time, so why shouldn't you? That was just silly stuff. <laughs> to say, I had a horrible time. Actually, I don't want you to have a horrible time. I want you to do it better than I did. I want you to be stronger than I am. Um, you know, and there's a lovely, I was doing some work in Saudi Arabia and the CEO of a company I was working with a lovely um, uh, Saudi man. And it was, a, it was an international community who were there. And in it, he, as he spoke at the end to summarize the meeting, he said, uh, in my world, in my Arab world, the only person you want to be better than you is your child. And so in my eyes as the CEO, you're all my children. I mean, I can hear in the way that you've talked that you're not entirely comfortable with the word vulnerability and it being a strength. And that that is what I come across all the time through this podcast. Um, I think like compassion feels very vulnerable because it goes against what we're told is the norm. Um, as we've just sort of, as we've talked about, you know, for someone to stand up and say, do you know what? I'm gonna leave behind this attitude that I had a rubbish time, so I'm gonna make you suffer too. Like that, that's a vulnerable thing to do because other people might look at you and be like, well, you know, how are you affecting our interests or how are you um, going to change the business in a way that won't benefit us? So I think that's a, a position of real vulnerability, um, but actually leading into that vulnerability, not running away from it, allowing it to feel vulnerable, staying with it, um, and then pursuing this more compassionate approach. Yeah. It's hard, but it seems, and that's, you know, I'm sort of mentioning that because that's how I would illustrate why where vulnerability is a strength because you feel it and then you run from it. And you're quite right, Alex. Vulnerability is an absolute strength. Mm. Um, it, it comes from our self awareness first. We have to be deeply aware of what is going on within ourselves, our emotional state, everything within ourselves. And the vulnerability is recognizing that and being able to share it, being able to challenge the existing and move on. Um, and, and, and so our challenge and part of your challenge as well in, in your work and mine and my work is a to get people to understand the word compassion and the fact it's a positive construct to get people to understand the word vulnerability. And it's not Bambi on ice. It doesn't mean you're exposed at risk. 
it actually means you're aware and you're courageous and you're caring of other people too. And so you're using your humanity and sharing of yourself as a way for help other people to get in contact with themselves too. And recognizing that if we're both in the position of understanding and deeply understanding of ourselves and each other, that's the chance for us to really connect. That's the chance for us to grow. That's the chance for us to really do something special and move forward. So you're quite right. No, the dictionary definition doesn't necessarily help. <laughs> no, I mean, if you if you Google vulnerability, the first thing it comes up with is a tech term about your your website and how your website might be taken down, oh, really? um, which annoys the hell out of me because <laughs> it's obviously there are many influences that have caused that to happen but like it does need changing in the same way that compassion and resilience do um so how do you think that leaning into this vulnerability and the more compassionate approach which can result from it will make organizations more resilient especially given what might be coming sort of in terms of the economy yeah and, and there's, there's there's a lot we've just gone through and there's a lot coming and by definition there's a lot we don't know um, which is also over the horizon. We can't quite see it yet. Uh, and resilience is an important thing. As you say, the, the, the engineering term resilience is that something gets back to the same shape when the stress is gone. Um, you know, so you deform a bit of metal and take the stress away and it comes back to the same shape. Therefore, that's a resilient piece of metal. And within humans, it's the same. It allows us to re-energize and reshape and, 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 and get there. Um, <clears throat> and so to do that, I think firstly, we need to know our own shape. We need to know who we are. And I need to know, you know, myself, what are my beliefs? What are my values? What are my needs? What are my fears? Um, what's my direction in life? What's my sense of purpose and meaning? Am I deeply aware of my backstory? You know, everything that's made me who I am today. And by definition, that gives with me my ego, my prejudices, my biases, uh, but it gives me my preferences and my needs too. So that great sense of self-awareness is the beginning, I believe, of, of, of our individual and collective resilience. Because if I know who I am, <clears throat> if I know who you are, then as we're working together, I can be more aware of what's going on within me. The defamation, if you like, in my character, the pressure, and the, as I said from the engineering term, the, the, what's happening to me emotionally is this strain and the stresses of the uncertainties of the world are happening. But also, if I deeply know you, I might be able to see a behavioural shift in you which you may not notice yourself, but because I know and understand you, I'll recognize, oh, that's not normal. Alex isn't normally like that. And then I can stop and be compassionate. Say, Alex, can we have a quick chat? Everything all right? No, no, it's not. Or yes, it is, really, I'm fine, but I'm just really hungry or whatever it may be. And so I think it stems from that deep sense of awareness. Mm. And the more we share and know of each other, then the greatest sense we have of our collective resilience, because I can understand and feed you in your journey and you can understand and feed me and mine so it is about this vulnerability it is about compassion but it's got to start with self-awareness first even though at the very beginning i said compassion isn't mindfulness mindfulness is a really useful tool to help build our self-awareness mm -hmm. um, in the moment but also if you like our historical self-awareness too so all these parts are tools that come together and collectively compassion and compassionate leadership will build a resilient person and a resilient community um we must be happy with the proper understanding of vulnerability as you and i understand it which is one of sharing of ourselves um understanding ourselves um because my take is quite simple people say oh, well, why would i do that why would i share me well i say okay simply if you know i don't like long emails well hopefully you won't give me a long email something as simple as basic and transactional as that 
but that just helps you go oh i get it now yeah if you know what motivates me well you will motivate me if you don't know what motivates me how can you then just you motivate yourself don't you in the process of other people so i think as we go through this journey we help people take on and embrace compassion embrace resilience embrace vulnerability for me, it's helping them understand the positive impacts of all those concepts, the positive elements on themselves as they move out of a place of psychological conflict into a place of a greater sense of self-worth and being. And then the positive impact on their communities and their teams and the performance of their organisations as they've tapped into that self-worth to gain the commitment from their people and everything that commitment brings that I spoke about earlier, and with the end game being one of performance as well. So it's the benefits of it, but recognizing it's a journey. So, okay, what are the top five benefits? Oh, top five benefits of uh, compassion and compassionate leadership. Yeah. I, I, let's look at ourselves first. I, I think the, the first benefit is this real greater sense of strength in you as a person. As you grow your understanding of who you are, and you act positively with it. Sometimes we can be our own worst critics, can't we? Um, and that's a human trait as well. Uh, and with compassion, we can remove that. It doesn't mean I'm not aware of what I'm bad at or what my faults might be. I'm, in fact, I'm hugely aware of my faults. Um, but it means that I'm not gonna beat myself up about it. I won't excuse them as bad behavior, understanding with positive action. So I think the first thing it gives us is that beautiful sense of self. And when you deeply understand yourself, it puts the rest of the world in a different perspective. And it puts your relationship with the rest of the world in a different perspective. So benefit number one is this huge sense of self-presence and self-worth, which I think is deeply, deeply exciting. The second benefit I see, and I think this is a deeply exciting one, um, is the impact on others around you. When we look out of the window, we look at our communities, we look at the anger and rage, we look at the social media trolling, the negativity in our media, um, the, the breakdown of relationships and communities. Uh, and, and what COVID actually taught us, and, and great waves of compassion came out during COVID in my community in a small little town in the south of England, people looked out for each other. They recognised there was an external threat and people went shopping for people. They, they knocked on neighbours' doors and <laughs> at a safe distance and, and asked and inquired of people. And there was a greater sense of awareness of others. So I think, which is compassion. So what it does, it builds our self-worth and it also increases our peripheral vision. It allows us to see other people where previously we were so stuck and so trapped in our own narrow life. Whereas we're compassionate, it opens your eyes up to people and the world, for that matter, something I believe in strongly. When I say their fish and secure the best for all, I also mean our planet. Um, so it gives you that peripheral vision, which is important. So you're, you're, you're seeing yourself, you're aware of yourself, you're seeing other people. We're now acting positively. So whereas before we acted from a place of protection on our own ego, potentially a place of judgment as we're looking at people saying, look at those tattoos or oh, look at that haircut or whatever it may be. If you're acting compassionately, it drops judgment. So even between generations, between social um, uh, groupings, rather than thinking, oh, that person's supporting that football team, what a twit, whatever, I can say, okay, well, good on them. They I hope they're excited as much as I'm supporting my team as they are with them. So it changes that dynamic. So we've got our self-worth, we've got our peripheral vision, we've got the dropping of judgment, which I think is an absolute um, critical one. 
Um, I know what my fifth one is, because um, I think that's what life's about. Um, and there's a nice Buddhist philosophy in that one, too. And the fourth one, I, I believe, is, is that um, as you go through this journey of compassion, you know, you change your perspective, you drop your judgment, you're increasing your view on other people, you're in a happier, more consistent place yourself. There's a lovely one on, on legacy that comes from it, that, that actually... I think it's Maya Angelou, wasn't it? The, the, the author who said, you know, people forget what you said, forget what you've done, but they never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful expression because it's also true. If someone's made you happy, Alex, you remember them. If someone's made you sad, tragically, you'll also remember them. And if someone's <laughs> made you really angry, well, we will also remember that too. So why can't our legacy be a positive legacy? No matter where we are in society, no matter who we're with, they don't have to be the big leader of a business. We can be the small part of a team and impact the culture immediately around us. Why isn't? Why couldn't we all of us make our legacy that of helping other people fulfil their lives, bring other people be happy, other people achieve what they want to do, to connect with other people? So I think the legacy, and the fifth one for me, is it's fun. It's as simple as that. And I think we have a duty, and it's a Buddhist philosophy, that the purpose of life is happiness. Um, and I think to waste this life without enjoying it is almost criminal to me. Um, and even if we may have another life and people believe all sorts, I, I'm quite happy, but I'm going to really focus on this one. So I'm not sure if there's a next one. And if there is, well, I'm Billy Bonus. I'm going to have two fun ones. But the danger is we forget so much to enjoy the moment. And mm -hmm. I think if we can be compassionate uh, and then that helps us to enjoy the moment and enjoy our lives and have fun. So that's my big five, I think. It's win-win, really, isn't it? Well, I reckon it's win-win, yes. <laughs> so what kind of a response have you had going into businesses with this? You know what, Alice, it's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, and I'm really conscious of the language I use. So I remember running a whole programme for a number of the police services in the UK on power and influence, which essentially was emotional intelligence. But had I said we're going to run a programme on emotional intelligence, it wouldn't have been accepted. But power and influence was, because it was still in that old thinking language. But at the end of it all, as we reveal the reality of the programme was emotional intelligence, all the, the police officers are going, oh, yeah, oh, I get it now. It's not just you know, pink, fluffy tree hugging. It's actually really useful stuff, isn't it? And so what I'm finding is, is that light bulbs are flashing on in people's heads all over the place. And also this greater sense of self-awareness. People are going, because I use metaphor and story a lot, by the way, to create the safe space to allow people to reflect and share. And once they've done that, they say, well, I don't want to go back to being the old, the old manly. I, I want this real manly. I don't want to be that grumpy, shouty one. I want to be this nice one. So I'm seeing um, it's, not, it's, not, it's not tipping point, not by a long way, but I'm seeing a groundswell, an increasing movement. There's a wave which is building and building and building as we're sharing with people a greater sense of self-worth, the greater sense of, of, uh, of judgment, of legacy, of peripheral vision and fun. They're saying, I want it. Uh, and actually, I can change the way I've lived and the way I've worked. I can change the way I lead. I can change the way I influence other people. So um, I'm finding great, really receptive audiences and people saying, yeah, come on, now's the time. And I believe now is the time for many reasons too. So I'm seeing a positive desire to, to live in a world with greater compassion, definitely. And do you think if there aren't tangible uh, performance outcomes that people will drop something like this um, potentially but then 
I can't see how there aren't tangible performance outcomes. And all the organizations I've worked with to instill the culture of compassionate leadership have all performed brilliantly on so many metrics, not just the overall performance, you know, and the dollar at the end of the day, but on, on retention, for example, and recruitment. Mm. Now, when you're looking at two organizations and you can see one has a clearly got a culture of compassion, well, why would you not want to join that one? You do want to join that one. That's the one I want because they care about me. They really care. And actually, it's the one I want to stay with too. So what we're seeing in organizations where this compassionate culture grows and gets stronger is it becomes a magnet. It becomes a magnet for people who want to commit, people who want to achieve, who want to do stuff, who want to be cared for, who want to add value to the world and be valued. So they're self-growing, they're self-perpetuating. And the ones that are sticking to the old style, well, this great resignation that we're all talking about, well, look at yourself. Why are your people leaving? What mm. culture have you created, which means they want to leave? So the impact of not being compassionate is you're a dinosaur. I mean, know what happened to them. <laughs> so you're the, um, what was it that hit the dinosaurs? Meteor. You're the meteor, are you? <laughs> I only hope then, I'm obviously just a very small meteor. Hey, but between us, though, Alex, people like you, myself, and all the other people, we're a shower of meteors. Yeah. We can change the climate, we can change the culture, we can change the world on these things. But, but obviously, not not one of us, but collectively we can. And, and people listen to this podcast, I sincerely hope that you're thinking, you know what, I can change it too. Mm. And join us in this lovely metaphor, the meteor shower of compassion, which is fundamentally shifting the globe. Uh, and get into the hurtling rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the last question I usually ask people is what's your note on vulnerability? Embrace it. Don't worry about the word because in, in your mind, your amygdala is going to defend you against the word because we've linked it to a lot of for time for a long, long time, meaning it's not a positive context. It is. So really embrace what it means. And to me, it means our self-awareness, our awareness of others and our desire to share and, and connect at a human level. Um, and I think it's hugely powerful. It's a beautiful construct. Worry not about the word. Just look about the humanity uh, and the benefits and the joy and the love. And if it's really your bag, the performance that comes from it at the end of the day, too. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. That's been such an interesting chat. Oh, thanks, Alex. I've really enjoyed it. And hopefully, you know, Sharon Meter, right? So we can make a change to the world. I'm up for it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. This has been Notes on Vulnerability and I've been Alex, your host. If you especially enjoyed this topic and would like to go deeper into how to take action on it, don't forget that you can hit the subscribe button to access all the additional tips, ideas and support. I'm a resilience coach and you can find me on Instagram at alexshorecoaching, S-H-O-R-E, or online at www.shore-coaching.com. Notes on Vulnerability also has its own Instagram, at Notes on Vulnerability.